0: Uh, hello everybody. Uh, each year in the season of epiphany in the Christian calendar, as we reflect on the way of Jesus and the way it was, he was revealed or epiphanied as the Messiah, we also reflect on our foundational commitments as a community. And this year our conversation series is called the three great loves. And for the next three weeks, we'll be discussing the three great loves of Jesus. Out of this story that we just read in Luke 6, up, which is relationship with God, in, which is relationship with our fellow followers of Jesus, and out, which is relationship with our neighbors. Uh, This week, we start with up. Over the Christmas break, I had the opportunity to go and backpack in Big Bend with Ben and another buddy. And, uh, while we were backpacking, we were coming down, uh, off of the, the trail and I was at the visitor center there at Big Bend National Park and I had the opportunity to meet a Big Bend local. Her name was Gail, Gail McLennan. I, I think you'll, you'll find out why I remember her whole name from that, uh, interaction, but Gail saw my, Backpack as I was waiting there at the visitor center and she asked, you know, was I, was I hiking? And I talked about being in the backcountry, uh, earlier that day and she started to talk about she's a native, uh, of Austin and how for years and years, she's probably in her late fifties, early sixties at the turn of the year, she would come out to Big Bend and hike the trails and How her time at Big Bend was this annual reset for her, where all of the, um, the trappings of her life and all of her false selves from work and from school and from, from family, all of those were shed in the wilderness of Big Bend. And she recovered and got back in touch with her true self, who she really was. And, and she said, you know, I really think that there's a th- there's a thin veil here between heaven and earth in Big Bend. The veil is thin. And I thought, man, it, it, what a great way to describe it. Because that, that had exactly been my uh, experience, uh, especially having seen the South Rim view over the San Madero Mountains and seeing the Bethlehem Star framed by the Juniper Canyon in the backcountry, of Big Bend in, in the wilderness, all is stripped away. There are no cell signals. There are no emails. There are no texts. Uh, there's just massive, rugged, natural world. Uh, we see ourselves in the wilderness for how small and vulnerable that we really are. The the lesser things of life really fade away and seem to pale in comparison to the, the majesty of Your surroundings. I'm not sure where Gail got the phrase, uh, thin veil, but it echoes this Celtic concept of the thin place. Uh, places where the distance between heaven and earth sort of collapses and we're able to catch glimpses of the divine, uh, the transcendent. Richard Rohr calls these places the edge. Uh, there's a Celtic saying that heaven and earth are only three feet apart, but in thin places, that distance is even shorter. Uh, her, her thin veil phrase also echoes the Israelite temple and tabernacle, uh, created to be thin places in the history of, of Israel, and so much so that in in the tabernacle, in the temple, there was a veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And when when priests would minister in the holy of holies, where the presence of God was thought to dwell, the glory of God uh, resided in the footstool that was created by the Ark of the Covenant. When, when the priests would go in there, they would tie a rope around their leg so that if they were overcome by the manifest presence of God and died, a fellow priest could pull them out so they wouldn't have to go in there and possibly be overcome by the manifest presence of God. Uh, uh, that was apparently a thing that happened, you know, sometimes. Uh, the temple is also rooted in the Genesis story, which envisions creation itself as the temple and the glory of God filling the earth. In some sense, all of creation is a thin place. The veil is thin between heaven and earth. I'm curious, um, what experience have you had with thin places? And would you share uh, a place for you that has been a thin place where the veil is thin between heaven and earth? Put Put a note in the chat and I'll take a few responses. Sarah Walker.
1: My um, two meets. When we lived in a Celtic place, <laughs> the Isle of Lewis, um, it was very like the, the beaches, the mountains, the kind of just the isolation of it. Like you just felt like you were on the edge of the world and uh, that God was out there on the edge of the world.
2: That's what I remember.
0: Mm. Wonderful. Thank you. Kara, Wilson Garcia.
2: I think for me, it's more, um, it's, it's not like nature. Um, very personally, if I'm standing in front of a group of children and singing, worship songs in Spanish. That's like, uh, that's, that's my place to be. And I feel like the veil is very, very thin in in those moments. And just like the, the pure nature of all of it is just phenomenal.
0: I love it. Thank you, Kara. Uh, Jenna, what about you? Hi, Jenna.
3: Hi. Um,
2: I think camp, camp Dakota has been um, a thin place, and I think that's for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's it's beautiful, and um, like it's beautiful, and it's kind of got that isolation of you no know, cell service and just like that setting. Um, but I think also experiencing it actually, like as camp with that experience of community in that place that just kind of feels like this is we're created to be in these these moments of just playing and being together and um, just experiencing that joy and it's beautiful a beautiful
0: thing yes that's awesome thank you Jenna um, Marquila last and best um. <laughs>
2: I would say for me, I've had, it doesn't happen all the time, but I've had experiences in contemplative worship where I feel like I'm touching heaven, that I know I am sitting in earth, on earth, but I feel God's presence so heavy, so real, so strong that he gives me the songs to sing. He gives me the words to speak. And I know that in that moment, I am right there on the cusp of touching the very nature of heaven. Those are beautiful moments for me.
0: Hmm. Word. Thank you all for sharing. Uh, not too long ago, I watched a documentary uh, about uh, James Baldwin called "I'm Not Your Negro." Uh, James Baldwin was a prominent uh, voice, uh, last century uh, prophetic voice, alongside of Malcolm X and MLK, kind of pointing out the realities of white supremacy and systemic racism. And before his death, he wrote 30 pages of a book that was unfinished and then turned into this documentary. And um, at one point in this documentary, he is he talks about um uh post slavery the response of whiteness to the other and the black community was uh you know jim crow segregation and the response of of whiteness was to to separate itself um Both, both so that it, there was, it minimized interactions between cultures and communities, but also so that whiteness, uh, wasn't privy to the inequities and the injustice and the hardship of the Black community. And James Baldwin says about this, addressing white folks, you don't know what's happening on the other side of the wall because you don't want to know. Last week, after rioters stormed the Capitol, uh, many carrying Trump and Christian flags, one of my friends made the observation, uh, it's as clear as ever that there are two worlds in existence in our country and that those worlds are worlds apart. These are the thick places in our world, uh, places where transcendence is obscure. Places where veils become walls of segregation and dividing walls of hostility. In our story for today, Jesus goes to the mountain to pray and he spends all night and it seems like at the mountain in this time of prayer, he gets some clarity about who he's going to invite to be his apostles at 12 of them he ends up picking surely a symbol of the 12 tribes of Israel. And when you zoom out in the gospel of Luke, you can see that this moment of Jesus in prayer was part of a bigger pattern because he would regularly retreat to deserted places to pray. It was this regular rhythm for Jesus that I'm sure on one very simple level was just a part of good boundaries for self care to to buffer himself from the demands of the crowds upon him constantly. Uh, Two of Jesus' prayer times, as I looked at this larger pattern in Luke, really caught my attention in a way that they hadn't before. Um, The first was at his baptism in Luke 3, the story we discussed last week um, that Ted led us in. As the story goes, Jesus was baptized, and while he was praying, while he was praying, The heaven was opened, the text says, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. Jesus' prayer created a thin place between heaven and earth. The second occasion is in Luke 9, and Jesus takes Peter and James again up onto the mountain to pray. And the text says, And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became dazzling white. And then Moses and Elijah show up and chat with Jesus in this transfigured experience. Once again, Jesus' prayer ushers in a thin place between heaven and earth. Uh, Thomas Kelly is a well-known Quaker teacher. And he has this fabulous little book about prayer called A Testament of Devotion. And in it, he describes two levels of consciousness. The, the upper level has to do with everyday activities and plans and discussions and concerns, interactions, the thing, the things that we see and think about that are right in front of us. And then there is this deeper level where we commune with the presence of God within us, what, what Kelly calls the light within, where we find the center and the ground of our being. This this deeper level we access through prayer. And lots of folks in our disenchanted world, gosh, even myself from time to time, function solely at this upper level. The upper level um, for some is the only one that matters or really even exists. It's as if there's a veil that separates one level from another. Kelly says it's common in our spiritual journeys to alternate between these two levels. So we go to work, we have prayer time, we spend time with family, we go to worship gatherings, we mow our lawn, we read a Christian book. But as we grow, we can begin to experience connection to the ground of our being in these two levels simultaneously. We can experience connection to the ground of our being while we're doing our taxes. We can sense our belovedness while we're in meetings with coworkers. We can sense the peace and joy of God while we're parenting our kids. We can feel God's heart for justice while we're protesting systemic racism. Kelly writes, The practice of prayer in this deeper level is the heart of religion. Uh, It is the secret, I'm persuaded, of the inner life of the master of Galilee. He expected this secret to be freshly discovered in everyone who would be his follower. Return with me to this story about Jesus on the mountain, praying and picking his disciples. This moment on the mountain is surrounded by a flurry of activity. Conflict about Jesus picking grain on the Sabbath and the the fury of the religious leaders that follows commissioning apostles, healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching the good news of the kingdom to the poor, proclaiming these prophetic announcements against the rich and the powerful. Kelly would have us see that the way that Jesus is tapping in to this deeper level when he's in prayer on the mountain in that thin place. But he would also have us see how Jesus was operating in both levels simultaneously when he came off the mountain when he's healing and preaching and engaging while in communion with God. That's because Jesus was a thin place. The gospel of John tells us that Jesus, the word of God became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus body was a thin place where heaven and earth came near in this thin place. The deep level of communion with God is what funded his vision and power for the upper level of everyday life and activity. Thomas Kelly tells a story of John Woolman, the Quaker tailor of Mount Holly, New Jersey, who resolved that he would make space to learn how to dwell at this deeper level of consciousness in the thin place. And Kelly writes, in this sensitizing before the inward altar of his soul, John Woolman was quickened to see and to attack effectively the evils of slaveholding, money loading, and wars upon the indigenous people. John Woolman's inner life made possible his outer life of justice work. And without this kind of center, in our own justice work, in our own lives in the upper level, we will become exhausted and cynical. This is why contemplative prayer is so important, not so that we can feel righteous and holy about the time that we spent sequestered in our prayer closets, but so that we can sustain participation with God in the world for the sake of justice and righteousness. Whether we are protesting, whether we're parenting, or whether we're going to a Pride parade, which is what several of us did a couple years ago. Uh, there's a group of moms and supporters of the LGBTQ community called Hug It Out, uh, who organized a group of people to go to the Pride parade on uh, in Oakland in the fall of 2018. And I believe Jen Reese and maybe Beth Wise um, spearheaded a group of us to go uh, from Storyline, and just to be in solidarity, to offer mom hugs and dad hugs and pastor hugs. Um, I bought a Hug It Out shirt, and it has a big rainbow um, on it on the front, and I wore it to a worship gathering where we met at uh, Willie B. Johnson Rec Center on Sunday before the parade later that afternoon. Um, I remember Miles praying for us during mission prayers, as we would go out and praying for our, our beloved friends in the LGBTQ community, uh, it was the first time that I had personally worn my support and my love for my LGBTQ loved ones on my sleeve, literally. Um, and I'll admit I, I was a bit nervous, uh, about it. Uh, I was, kind of wondering if I would get accosted by someone in public on the way to the parade or out and about. And then I realized maybe I'm getting a tiny slice of perspective of what the daily lived experience of our LGBTQ friends might be. After the worship gathering, we went to Whataburger as a group and we got a bite to eat. Um, The cashier behind the register was a short black woman and she took my order and and peered across the register underneath her Whataburger visor and she glanced at my shirt and then she looked at our group. And when I had finished my order, um, she she just inquired. She leaned in and said, What are y'all doing? And I explained, Well, we're we're on our way to the Pride Parade and um we're trying to show our support for our our friends in the LGBTQ community. And she left her place behind the register and she came around the counter and she stood in front of me and she wrapped me up in this warm embrace. And she looked at me and said, thank you. Thank all of y'all for what you're doing for us. And I was undone. I mean, we hadn't even gotten to the parade, and I was undone because my first thought was I just met with God. I just encountered the presence of God in the middle of that water burger in that thin place. Here I was thinking I was going to go and be a hospitable presence. And, and what, what do I find but to receive the hospitable presence of God? And that was just a foretaste of the thin place that we would experience the rest of that day in the pride parade. Uh, that woman at Waterburger was a thin place that day where the veil between heaven and earth were thin. I'm curious uh, for you all, in, in what ways are you being invited to grow in prayer, to live in those thin places? At that deeper level of consciousness. Put a note in the chat and I'd love to hear your perspective. Nope.
3: Sarah
1: Walker. Yeah, I was just gonna say that um, just connect, kind of what we did this morning in our safe place meditation with what you're talking about. That uh, sometimes when we think about connecting with God or when we think about things being a thin place. For some of us, it can be scary because we believe that the presence of God is going to be judgmental, or even like you, when you're wearing your shirt and you're like, I'm afraid I'm going to be judged for this, and then instead you are loved for it. I think for a lot of us, we have that expectation of thin places with God that when we enter a thin place where God is, he is going to judge us, he or she or however we you know, and that we, we don't want to live in that lower level. We are afraid of that lower level of consciousness, like what you're talking about. Um, and just connecting it that part of what we did this morning is cultivating a safe place in our mind, um, over time where, where we can welcome that presence of God and where we can feel that loving presence of God, um, because that's the part that's really there. Um, but I think some of us have trouble feeling it right away.
0: Yes. Thank you for sharing that, Sarah. That is a, that's a real obstacle to the contemplative life. And it grieves me because it's not, um, it. the folks who are, who are triggered by the prospect of thin space. It's not the fault and the blame the culpability for that does not lie within them. It lies in, in environments and leaders and cultures that have been really harmful and that have created imagination about God that, uh, is unsafe. You know, essentially that God is out to get you at the end of the day and who would ever want to enter into that deeper level if what they were going to find was a monster. Uh, and so, yeah, part there, there are real obstacles and barriers to push through and it requires great courage and grace to, to find the God who is belovedness and who is the essence of love. And, uh, yeah, it's just, a it's a challenge. Lord have mercy. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Val, what about you?
2: Um, for me, I think one thing that I've been trying to do that helps me is um, basically like an awareness of what I'm doing. So rather than just sort of like going through the motions of like,
3: you know, waking up, going about my
2: day, running errands, taking out to school, whatever it is, trying to be actually like present and aware of what I'm doing rather than thinking about what all I need to do or what I've got. And it's sort of like a slowing down in my mind. And I find that when I do that, I I think about things differently. Like I often think about how like Ben talks about like, you know, uh, life being lived in like the small things or like God being there and all the small things. And that really helps me. And then another thing that I like to do is I really, I like to go on runs around my neighborhood and I like to use that time to just, Like, for me, I always, like, when I think of the word pray, I always think of, like, a a traditional prayer, like, talking out loud, like, dear God, blah, 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 But to me, like, my runs are, like, a prayer now because I just notice everything around me. Like, I notice the houses or who's out and about or what other people are doing. And it's, I don't know, I, I feel like it's, like, noticing God all around me.
0: Um, Your stories remind me of a a fellow in, I think, 16th century known as Brother Lawrence, who has a little book written about him called Practicing the Presence of God. Um, He was a dishwasher in a monastery, and his great spiritual breakthrough and his gift to the contemplative tradition is that he learned to just pay attention and be mindful while he washed the dishes and washing the dishes was the, that was the gateway for him to realize an awareness of the presence of God everywhere he went. So it sounds like you're, you're entering into that very same practice of the presence of God while you're doing chores, while you're running. And that's exactly, that's exactly the kind of, the simultaneity of the two levels that is um, so beautiful. We don't, we don't, ne- closets are great for prayer, but they're not relegated to closets. Prayer goes with us everywhere. So thank you for demonstrating that for us. Anybody else? Any, any uh, straggling comments out there? Yes, Ben. Ben. <laughs>
3: I was tempted to, uh, when you, when you asked the question, I thought, okay, I should, I should say something about, uh, fight against racism or homophobia or for these big things that you have to, um, um, the, you have to be grounded to fight. But I've, I found myself as I was thinking about the question, uh, coming back to the work of parenting and Mm. for, for me and Jen as we transition into parenting adultish children which is just miserable everybody enjoy them when they're kids it's awful when they're older um, and those of you who know my kids like they're really amazing human beings uh hey Jordan uh <laughs> you're not awful Jordan of course uh like mm. our, our kids are really amazing and uh, but it's so hard and all my anxiety and fear uh, about them potentially growing up to be big jerks often translates into me just being a jerk to them as a, as a parent. And so the, the work of being present in really small things, uh, conversations, texts, um, to, to be aware of myself, uh, to be aware of who they are, um, I I keep coming back to how like my, my hopes for my influence in the world has just gotten really, has gotten increasingly smaller over the years. Um, that, that I, I want my kid, like at the end of the day, when I die, I want my kids to know they're loved. Um, that's what I, that's what I care about. Um, so, I don't know. Now I'm just a rambling mess of a dad who's just talking about stuff. So, that's my answer to your question. You thank can, you, Ben. I don't know. It's good to it make sense of it.
0: No, I love it. That. Thanks for your vulnerability in sharing that. Um. And thank you all for um, the way you've helped to fill out this message and the conversation and the Word of God to all of us and um, bless you as you open yourself to uh, connect to the deeper level. Um, and, And as you open yourself to that deeper level, may you find more love and grace and courage and joy and peace than you ever expected you might find there.